As we begin, I, I must explain, I, I'm not a singer, so I'm going to spare you hearing me sing this hymn, but I wonder, have you heard this hymn as I read the lyrics? Majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom, authority, flows from his throne. Unto his own his anthem raise. So exalt, lift on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify, Christ Jesus, the King. Majesty, worship his majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. Many of the familiar and inspiring hymns that we sing in church speak of Jesus Christ ruling as King on the throne of David in heaven today. As we continue our study of the thrones found in Scripture, let us now focus on God's throne of grace and consider the role of the Lord Jesus Christ right now, during this church age. This should help us to determine whether the picture of Christ as King is accurate or not. Hello, I'm Rob Congdon, Director of CMI-TV and Congdon Ministries International, and I'm glad you've joined us today as we continue our study of the thrones of God. The first picture of God's throne of grace during the church age is found in Acts chapter 7. There we read of Stephen, the first church martyr. Looking at verse 2, we see that this defense statement by Stephen explains how the God of glory appeared unto the fathers of Israel and used Moses to deliver the nation from Egypt. For we read in verse 2 of chapter 7, And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken! The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. He then goes on to speak of Israel's falling away from God and how God, in his grace, sent the just one, that's Jesus Christ, to them, but they betrayed and murdered him. For we read in verse 52, Which of the prophets have not your father persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, that's Jesus Christ, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. At this point, the men surrounding Stephen understood that he was proclaiming Jesus to be God's just one and them to be murderers. Remember, those standing around had been back in Jerusalem when they crucified Christ not that long before. Enraged, they picked up stones to kill him. And in verse 55 tells us, But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on his right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. In this dramatic scene, we read that the risen Lord Jesus Christ stood at the right hand of God to honor Stephen as he became the first of many martyrs for the Lord during the church age. During his defense, Stephen had said that the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, 
Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. That's verses 48 and 49 of chapter 7. As the heavens opened, Stephen witnessed the glory of God and there Jesus Christ standing at his right hand in the very throne room of heaven. The throne room that we viewed in our previous video on the throne of God. As we focus now on God's throne during the church age, we must consider God the Son's role at the right hand of the Father. In doing this, we need to keep the following truths foremost in our mind. Number one, each member of the Trinity is equally God and in perfect unity and agreement. Secondly, each member of the Trinity has a relationship and function to carry out within the will and purpose of the Trinity. Third, the second person of the Trinity's relationship within the Trinity is as the Son of God. Fourth, the second person of the Trinity's name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifth, the name Jesus reflects the second person of the Trinity's incarnation as the Son of Man, reflecting his humanity, for he is the infinite God-man. Sixth, the term Christ indicates the second person of the Trinity's function as the anointed one of the Father, the Messiah, the King of Israel, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 36. And seventh, the term Lord reflects the function of a master to his servants. It's not a governmental term like king, but a relational term. Again, Acts 2, verse 36. And finally, the Lord Jesus Christ is to function as prophet, priest, and king following his incarnation, following his birth into our world in flesh as man. We'll be considering this last point, the functions of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we will clearly understand what he is doing at the throne of grace in heaven today. The Office of Prophet. Jesus of Nazareth, as the Son of Man, fulfilled the office of prophet during his days upon the earth. Prophets were men from the nation of Israel who were appointed or chosen by God for a special task. They did not speak their own words or ideas, rather they spoke the words of God. The prophet's message may or may not have included a prediction of the future. Put simply, they were God's spokesmen chosen to proclaim or herald God's truth to the people. During his first advent or first coming, Jesus Christ lived and taught in Israel as a prophet. This is apparent from the very beginning of his ministry when he taught and preached the good news or gospel of the coming kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 we read, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among people. In this verse, it summarizes four necessary elements 
are characteristics of a prophet. That Jesus fulfilled. He was a prophet of God. For a prophet of God taught God's word, preached impending judgment, preached or proclaimed God's good news, and authenticated his office by miracles. Thus, Jesus Christ functioned as a prophet during his earthly ministry. The Office of Priest A priest is one who represents God to man and man to God. He is a mediator between God and man. God specified who would be priests in Israel. Now the high priest was over all the other priests. The high priest had four prime duties. Number one, he was to offer the yearly sacrifice for the sins of the nation and the people of Israel on the Day of Atonement. On that day, when he met face to face with God in the Holy Tabernacle and later and in the temple. Secondly, the high priest was to apply the atonement to the people through the blood of the substitute lamb. Thirdly, he was to act as a mediator and intercessor between the people and God. He would bring their needs before God the Father and issued decrees, God's decrees, to his people. Fourthly, the high priest was over the priesthood. Now, the very first function of the high priest was to sacrifice. Jesus Christ formally took this office when, as the sacrificial lamb, he offered his own blood and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He offered the finest sacrifice, according to Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 10 through 12, where we read, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. When Christ sat down at the right hand of God, he took on the office of high priest, Hebrews 3.1, and became Lord over a new royal priesthood, the church. See the reference in 1 Peter 2.5, verse 9, and in Revelation 1, verse 6. The Lord has continually served in the office of high priest in heaven to this very day. According to Ephesians 1, verse 20, God raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Notice carefully, as high priest, Jesus Christ is no longer offering sacrifices for sins, unlike the Roman Catholic teaching of the Mass, where Christ is continuing over and over again for sins. No, no, no. Christ is the author and finisher of our faith and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God, a position that he joyfully anticipated. 
again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Foreseeing that day, King David wrote, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 34. To our throne room picture, we must now add our Lord, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. For the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of his, that's God the Father's glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice particularly, it is God the Father that is the majesty on high, not the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always be careful to maintain the distinctions of the persons of the Trinity when the scriptures note these distinctions. Recognizing that the Lord Jesus is our high priest in heaven and that he has fulfilled the prime duty or function, that's his sacrifice, we will now consider his second function. The second function of the high priest is that of atonement. He is to apply the atonement that is made possible by the sacrifice. Thus, our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to apply the atonement that he made possible because of his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus Christ applies it to individuals when they first come to him for salvation and to believers when they sin in their daily walk. The idea behind atonement is cleansing. When we first come to God through Jesus Christ, our sins are blotted out and we are made white as snow. We can't lose our salvation. Our sins have been paid for. But in our daily walk as Christians, we still sin and we need to confess this to God in order to enjoy his fellowship with him and serve him effectively. You see, once saved, when we sin, that's not going to affect the fact that we're saved for eternity. No, God promised it's for eternal. But it's because when we sin, we affect our fellowship with our God. And that needs to be dealt with. And we confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, and importantly, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our high priest in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, applies the atonement to us. The third function as high priest is mediator and intercessor. Paul tells us that our high priest in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, is also acting as our mediator and intercessor before the holy God of glory, the one we saw pictured in Isaiah 6 in our first video. Unlike the Aaronic priesthood that was humanly imperfect because of sin and limited in length of service because he was mortal, Christ is holy, sinless, 
He is eternal, and he will be a high priest for us forever. For Hebrews 7, verses 25 and 26 tells us, He, Jesus Christ, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Only he, in his perfection, can properly approach God's throne and speak to face to face with God the Father. The high priest of the Old Testament fearfully entered into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement after seven days of preparation and cleansing. He then met with God face to face. If he entered without properly washing his body and confessing the sins of his heart, he would die in the presence of God. Because our high priest is holy and lived upon this earth as the Son of Man, Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Furthermore, we can be assured of his loving intercession. For he's not in heaven to condemn us, but to bring our needs to the Father. Romans 8.34 tells us, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You see, having fulfilled the role of prophet and having offered a perfect and final sacrifice, Jesus Christ is now authorized to intercede for us as our high priest. In Hebrews 8, verse 1, we read, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He is at the right hand, notice, of the throne. He is next to the throne of the majesty. That's God the Father. And this is in heaven. Notice very carefully, the throne is singular in this verse. And the one seated upon it is the majesty in the heavens. Our Lord Jesus Christ is intercessor. And the one on the throne is God the Father. The first eight chapters of Hebrews declare the qualifications of our Lord as our high priest in heaven. Through the writer, God has told us that Christ is greater than the angels and the fathers of Israel, including Moses. The writer of Hebrews also tells us that Christ is after the order of Melchizedek and is qualified to be the high priest forever in verse 28. Notice the context reminds us that the throne room in heaven is the true tabernacle or dwelling place of God, Hebrews 8.5. It is complete with God the Father seated on the throne and Christ as high priest seated at his right hand. 
Remember, the earthly tabernacle and temple served as, in Hebrews 8.5, the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. In verse 6, God reminds us that Jesus Christ is a mediator of a better covenant. And 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The Bible and ancient records tells us the significance and relationship between a ruler and the one seated at the right hand. At the right hand of the Father. In 1 Kings 2.19, we read of Bathsheba going to her son Solomon to make a request on behalf of Adonijah, the fourth son of King David. For we read, Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. Solomon's mother was not ruling, nor did she have regal authority. But respecting her place in his life, honoring her as the wife of the former king, Solomon honored her by having a seat placed at his right hand so that she could intercede for Adonijah. The sole reason for seating her next to him was to allow her to act as an intercessor between Adonijah and the king. In verse 20, we learn that her purpose was to petition the king. That's to intercede. Interestingly, Solomon denied her request, for the request indicated in an indirect fashion that Adonijah was trying to seize Solomon's throne. You see, Bathsheba must not have realized this, for she definitely wanted her son Solomon to be king. But Adonijah felt this was a kind of a backdoor to eventually seize the throne from Solomon. So there we have a scene where we have someone seated at the right hand of a king to act as an intercessor. In a second instance, we read of the Last Supper in John 13, verse 23, where the Lord as host was seated with John at his right hand. According to the Bible scholar, Alfred Edersheim and ancient Jewish documents place this right-hand position as an honored position. In this position, back in the upper room, John was to ask the Lord who it was that would betray him. Notice, Peter didn't ask the Lord directly, but rather he asked John to intercede for him. We have a third incident of someone placed at the right hand of the one in authority. This incident is where the mother of James and John came to petition the Lord to allow her sons to sit at his right hand and left hand, that's two positions of honor and authority, in Christ's coming kingdom. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, we read, He said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, 
Grant that these my two sons may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. And in verse 23, he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. In addition to these three biblical examples, Historic records indicate that kings placed honored individuals to the right of the throne to signify that the honored individual had been given authority to exercise or declare the king's will or to intercede for others. In other words, the authority was given to the one who was seated at the right hand. Thus, God the Father gave the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the authority to now intercede both between the people to God and God to the people. The church reflects the same idea. When Paul and Barnabas received the right hand of fellowship in Galatians 2.9, symbolizing the authority given them to go unto the heathen and speak for God. The fourth function of a high priest is to oversee the priesthood. You see, through Peter and John, God tells us that Christians are to be priests of the Lord. The Father has given the Son authority over the church as high priest. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to see this totally laid out by Paul to us. Beginning in Ephesians 5, I'm going to read verses 22 to 27. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even, notice, as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water, by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is the church. Notice the church as Christ's bride. We are part of the church if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The church includes all true believers from Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, to the catching up of the church at the rapture of the church. So the church, as Christ's bride, has a unique personal relationship with him. It's not a governmental relationship. She's not a secretary of state or a secretary of treasurer to him. No, 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 no. She's his bride. He is the husband. She calls him Lord because she is subject to him as head, according to the scriptures, as a wife is to her husband. This isn't government. This is relationship. Notice in this passage, the word subject carries the idea of an orderly household. The husband is the head of the household and the wife is placed under his leadership and is directed by him. It is a relationship that is founded upon mutual love for one another. 
not the governmental relationship of a king over his appointees or those who have been voted in offices under him. No, no, no. This is not a governmental relationship of a king over his subjects or over the civilians. No. Knows the Lord as the heavenly bridegroom sets his wife apart and helps to make her a beautiful, spotless bride. He wants only what is best for his wife. Furthermore, he gave his life for her, for you, for me. What greater love can the bridegroom have for his bride? Likewise, the wife reverences her husband, a term that means to treat him with respect and special regard, for he is the head. She loves and honors him, desiring to please him in all that she does. You see, here the word Lord conveys the idea of a loving, trusting relationship between husband and wife. She's not afraid to follow his lead because she knows that he has her best interest at heart. With this unique relationship and goal in mind, Jesus Christ is interceding in heaven for his future bride. Who would you want to intercede for you? A ruling king over his subjects or a loving Lord? In Acts 2.33, we learn that when Christ took his place at the Father's right hand and was exalted, he received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. You see, God the Father rules and commands as king. It was at his approval that the Holy Spirit was sent in fulfillment to Christ's promise to his disciples given in John 15.26 and John 16.7. In the very same passage, we learn that whatever the disciples ask of the Father in his name, it's Christ's name, the Father will give it, John 15, 16. Thus, at the right hand of God the Father is a place of exaltation, Acts 2, 33, and authority subordinate only to the King, 1 Peter 3, 22. God the Father sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth and received him back into heaven when he exalted his son by having him sit at his right hand. You'll find the sending of Jesus Christ to the earth in 1 John 4, 9 and 10 and verse 14. Now in Acts 5, 31, we read, Him, Jesus Christ, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. From this honored position besides the Father, Jesus Christ as our Lord mediates and intercedes for us as our high priest. He is also the high priest over the priesthood of the church forever. The throne of grace, grace to us. The Lord Jesus Christ will continue to function as high priest at the right hand of the Father until the Father sends him back to the earth to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem during his thousand-year millennial reign. For we read in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Speaking to Israel, Repent ye therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing, that's the second coming of Christ, shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he, that's speaking of God the Father, he shall send Jesus Christ, 
which before was preached unto you. He shall send Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, his enemies will become his footstools. That's a, an idiom or expression signifying total victory over his foes. For the writer of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 wrote, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies the footstool? No, no, no. He only spoke that of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is our Lord and high priest in heaven today. Now, this is reinforced when we consider the epistles. For in these letters to the churches, the writers specifically and consistently call him Lord and never refer to him as being king in the present sense or during the church age sense. This is a strange omission if Christ were king today. In writing Romans and 1 Timothy, Paul was directed by the Holy Spirit to refer Jesus Christ as high priest rather than king. The same is true of the author of the book of Hebrews. The only instances in the New Testament where he is referred to as king are found in the four Gospels where Jesus Christ was offering himself to Israel as their king. The Jews of that day would have understood that the Messiah was to be Israel's king. For on what we call Palm Sunday, we read in John 12, verse 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And in John chapter 1, verse 49, we read, Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. The book of Revelation tells us that in the future, the Lord Jesus Christ will return to earth as King of kings and Lord of lords when he destroys the kingdoms of this world and establishes his millennial kingdom over the entire earth. That's a government. He will be king over a government at that point. In that day, he will take his rightful seat upon the throne of David. Now until that day, we can approach God's throne of grace because of our unique personal relationship with his Son. When we pray as believers, we come to God the Father through our priest and mediator, Jesus Christ our Lord. We can come boldly or confidently as the Bride of Christ. He is your Lord. That's a personal relationship to your Bridegroom, and you are the Bride how we praise God for his beautiful plan, his purposes. It's my prayer that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you don't understand this relationship, if you're not sure you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never repented of your sins and turned to him to become the substitute who died on the cross for your sins and paid the price of your sins and have received him as your Savior, then you need to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your Lord, and your intermediator to God the Father. Now may the Lord bless you mightily, and we'll either see you here or in the air. <laughs>